All right, come on, second service. Give God a little praise in this place. Come on and give Jesus some applause. Come on, you can clap a little louder than that. Give Jesus praise. Wow, it's so good to see you. You can take your seats. How's everybody doing today? Come on and give me a wave. How are you doing? Good to see you. My name is Andrew Mack, and I am one of the pastors here, and I am so excited to be sharing with you today the book reading series that we've been doing the last weeks, and this is a series where different, uh, Pastor Karen shared last week a book called Just Give Me Jesus. Wasn't that amazing if you were here to hear it? That was awesome. And then the week before, Pastor Claudia shared a book that she'd recently read, and I am sharing today a book that I have recently read called The Glass between us, there you can see it. It's by Jason and Lisa Frost. And this book um, goes into the topic of, especially with youth and young people, but I believe it's also relevant for people that are over 18, because you can be 25, 35, 45, and still be uh, immature, okay? Sorry, I'm getting real with you today. It doesn't matter about the age. You can still be in the way that you act, the way that you think, the way that you are living your life uh, like a teenager. And a teenager can be an adult the way that they think and act. Um, so it's really relevant for, for all ages, but it's especially talking about how the industry of technology is abusing and exploiting people under the age of 18. Because under the age of 18, you are a child by the law and should be protected from being exploited, from being abused. And there is a big, um, it's a big industry with a lot of billions and billions of dollars worth involved in abusing and exploiting children because it's distant. It's through a phone. It's through glass. And it's not real but it has an effect on the mind, on the body, um, that is real. But because it's just coming to you through a phone, we don't realize how dangerous it is because it's not happening in real life. It's happening through digital spaces that exploitation and abuse is taking place, and it is uh, very terrible. And we need to, especially as people of God, be watching out for each other that we are protecting each other and protecting especially children that are among us from being taken advantage of and from being abused by this industry that I'm going to read to you about. Um, part of the reason why I want to present this book to you, it actually came to my attention. So Jason and Lisa both are followers of Jesus. So the book also talks about it from a Christian perspective. But the research that they've done um, is with many of the great and leading universities, many of the psych psychology um, departments of governments. So it is very, um, it is very intense and very conclusive. A lot of what they've researched, it took many years to put this book together. And so I can definitely recommend it for everyone um, to read. 
Now, something that I've been working on recently with my sister and the band that we have, Andrew and Elena Mack, is that we are going to be putting out a new album on September 23rd. There you can see, that's one of the images. You're the first to see that today. And it's gonna be called, yeah, it's, it's, we look so cool, I know. And it's called Cyberpunk. And the th one of the themes of this album called Cyberpunk that's coming out on September 23rd is the opening line of the first track says, hey, cyberpunk, are you even real? And the idea is that so much of what we are living in today is just not even real. And we could be walking around, you know, you're walking around with your phone, you're walking around with your social media, you're walking around with your online image and the filters and all this stuff that just looks so cool, but you're not even real. It's just fake, the followers, everything, the likes, it's all just a fake society in this digital world that we're just, what? it's like everything looks so good on there. But when you wake up in the morning without your filters and you look in the mirror and you're just alone in your bathroom and you see your face and you're like, I need that filter really bad. How sick is that? That real life is less attractive than a fake life. And actually, real life should be the kind of life that we want to live. And the kind of life that God wants to give you is a real life that's amazing, not a fake life that's amazing. And so that, that's really like the theme of that album, going to be talking about breaking out, breaking out, escaping from this world of, of just these images and the media that's coming at us all the time and just being free from all of that stuff and being happy and content and full of joy and life with the life that we have that God gave us. Isn't that amazing? We need to live real life. Um, and so during the research and the preparation for the album, that's when this book again came to my mind and many of the themes are overlapping. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna read to you um, just from the book. I'm not going to give you any commentary. I want you to just listen to it, and I'm gonna read for the next 15, 20 minutes just reading from the book. It's a book reading series, so I'm gonna just read from the book, and I want you to listen, because I really believe what I'm gonna say, it's gonna shock you some of it, um, but it's so fascinating to hear that I, I don't wanna add anything onto it. <laughs> I want you to just listen, and then at the end, I'm gonna pray and share one scripture with you. So the first part here is called um, nomophobia. Nomophobia. I could not believe what unfolded in front of my eyes. I hate you. I hate everybody. I hate this whole school, Emma screamed as she attacked her headmaster and ripped her smartphone out of his hands. I had known Emma as a kind, amiable, and outgoing 13-year-old teenager. She was an outspoken, feisty brunette who was well-liked among her peers. Ten minutes earlier, Emma had received a phone call during art class, and she couldn't resist answering. Despite calls being strictly forbidden, in accordance with school policy, the phone was to be turned over to the secretary and retrieved after the school day was over. 
If the rule was broken three times in a row, a parent or guardian would have to come to the school and pick up the phone from the office. This was exactly what happened to Emma. And she knew that her parents would not have time to pick up the phone that day and that she would have to wait until the next day to get her phone back. And the scene ended with Emma ripping her SIM card out of her phone while taunting the headmaster that she had two backup phones at home and he couldn't keep her from using those. What took place that day is a phenomenon known as nomophobia, that many teachers, social workers, and parents around the world witness daily. Nomophobia is an emerging field of study. So this isn't just, this is a field of study which revolves around feelings of anxiety and distress when not having access to a smartphone. It had caused Emma to panic and behave in ways that were completely out of character. Emma could not imagine spending half a day without her smartphone, and it led her to behave inappropriately. According to Common Sense Media, 50% of Generation Z describe themselves as self-identified digital device addicts. Experts working in the field of technology found that the environment and circumstances of the present, present digital age are far more conducive to addictions than anything humans ever discovered in history. Adolescents are especially prone to developing a tech dependency or even an addiction. And I would say that that really goes for all ages. So this is Jason writing this part. I also grew up in a small town in the middle of nowhere. I had friends who played board games with me until our parents forced us to go to bed. As boys, we camped out alone in the woods. We imagined we were explorers claiming the land is our own. The only thing missing was a cool theme song to the hallmark of a day in the life of a 90s kids. There was something authentic about growing up without digital distractions or pressure to photo document every moment. There was a sense of innocence to our interactions. We had no access to the internet, so games wasn't much of a distraction either. Boredom drove us to explore abandoned farms and motivated us to get lost in over 80 acres of unclaimed land. The experiences of exploring uncharted territory bonded us. We didn't know it, but we belonged to a dying breed of teenager. A kind of teen that is now marketed on a modern hit TV series as unique. For us, vulnerability and acceptance unfolded in wild nature, 
rural forests and abandoned farms. It was not just the words we shared, but the experiences we lived. We trusted each other when getting lost in the woods, we were able to show our true selves, even when just getting a little creeped out camping outside on our own. We were a generation whose lifestyle was soon to go extinct. A generation that had tasted and seen what it means to be human with all our senses, without the buzzing of notifications in our pockets. When it comes to nourishing a person's internal world, the stewarding of values such as vulnerability, Intimacy and trust is essential for developing meaningful relationships. John Joseph Powell, author of The Secret to Staying in Love, said it best. It is an absolute human certainty that no one can know his own beauty or perceive a sense of his own worth until it has been reflected back to him in the mirror of another loving, caring human being. Teens can formulate the right response, word the funniest status update, post the amazing TikTok, or even the perfect photo. But this fake version of themselves prevents others from seeing and accepting them for who they really are. Pursuing intimacy is not easy, especially for young people who are in the process of developing their social skills. When young people feel safe and understood, they are more likely to become vulnerable, allowing others they trust to see a more intimate and unprotected version of themselves. Intimacy can be understood as the destination the relationship is heading towards, while vulnerability is the vehicle that drives them towards this destination. However, the very nature of becoming vulnerable is to permit the risk of getting hurt. When intimacy and vulnerability go online, things can get messy. Being absent in body creates the illusion of being safe and in control. In reality, digital media enables exploitation and abuse. Consider Candace, a 16-year-old whose short-term relationship was terminated with a text message. One night, her boyfriend texted her that he was going to go after other women simply because he thought that Candace was not attractive as other women he had seen on Instagram. Candace broke down and fell to the ground, reeling from emotional pain. It was real pain. The following night, her ex-boyfriend from the previous day posted pictures of himself on social media with a new girl he had gone out with. Candace felt broken inside. The pain was so unbearable that she thought it would be easier to die than keep on living. So she overdosed on antidepressants. Miraculously, her parents found her and took her to the hospital before it was too late. Relationships that develop through face-to-face -face encounters 
come with a natural degree of accountability. Interactions are often public and observable. If someone exploits a relationship, there will hopefully be naturally occurring consequences. The design of empathy makes it harder for someone to verbally abuse a person who is standing right in front of them because they will have to watch and endure the fullness of that person's response. With the vast majority of interactions unfolding online, those safety rails vanish. Being physically removed from the situation allows for words to get out of control. Candace's boyfriend never watched how his actions broke her. He never saw her fall to the ground. He never witnessed her sobbing, and he never watched as she tried to take her own life. He just sent a text message. Vulnerability in a relationship can strengthen our bonds with one another, but it also has the pain to create terrible pain. If we are mistreated, after exposing our most private selves, the latest research in the field of psychology that reveals that being rejected by a romantic partner activates pain in the brain, giving a whole new meaning to the phrase, love hurts. Everybody okay? I'm gonna keep reading. Now, this is going to get a little bit graphic. Porn addicts function similar to drug addicts. They must increase the stimulus to achieve the same level of reaction, which can only be achieved by novel sexual stimulation. Pornography consumption can easily become an addictive pattern. The the addiction is a chronic condition that doesn't go away just because someone stops using it. It takes about 18 months to restore the dopamine receptors in the brain to their original condition. Most consumers are unaware that they are hooked until they try to quit, and many describe withdrawal symptoms that are similar to those of drug addicts. We talked to a professional counselor who works with porn addicts. He told us that it takes his clients a year with weekly counseling to overcome their consumption. Willpower is not enough. It requires tools, time, and a support system. Constantly needing new content to achieve the same results could also explain why popular content often contains shocking acts of violence and aggression. Such acts are consumed for the relentless search of a dopamine reward. The reward circuit is a primitive mechanism in the brain. It does not objectively process the content consumed, but rather the amount of dopamine released. And this can have a devastating impact on the hearts and minds of those today, especially teens whose biomechanics can't help 
but attach what they are watching to a euphoric sense of pleasure. This is very confusing, as a teen's identity and sexuality have not yet fully matured, and the abuse and humiliation they are watching online looks wrong, but feels good. And this incoherence between biological sensation and a higher moral understanding can lay the foundation for a corrupted and confused sense of self. A young boy might think that he is the type of person who enjoys being abused, when in reality his brain has been hacked by the tech industry. Consequently, porn can degrade a teen's identity, making them less likely to question when it crosses boundaries. Sexual abusers are known to use a similar strategy against their victim. They, they violate someone's boundaries and then blame the victim for their biological response, claiming it makes them complicit. And this effectively destroys the victim's self-worth, making them more vulnerable to future abuse and destructive behavior. How are young people expected to stand with a partner in a relationship if they have spent so many years lusting after women and men of all shapes and sizes? Whether we believe it or not, Porn will creep its way into a teenager's bedroom. For some, that might mean that they would rather just watch that over the hassle of being in a relationship, maybe being rejected and entering with an emotional investment. While growing individualization and increased social isolation are considerable, considerable factors that have resulted in positive change, for example, there are fewer teen pregnancies now. It is imperative to recognize the over-dependence on technology, especially when we are choosing pornography as a substitute to working towards a healthy, romantic relationship. All right, this is the last one I'm going to read. Everybody okay so far? That's fascinating, isn't it? As I interviewed former students who are now grown adults, I was surprised to hear how utterly positive they reflected on the boundaries their parents had set around technology. They expressed a deep gratitude that someone had taught them how to exercise self-control, not to game their lives away, and to carefully select how to use social media. Mia, a 17-year-old who worked as a camp counselor during summer break, talked about her favorite aspect of the camp. The camp directors didn't allow for any digital media devices for the entire month she was there. She loved the fact that people were simply focused on people. Looking back, she treasured the time 
without any digital distractions. She raved about the fact that everyone simply enjoyed being with each other. Let's be real. Intentionally choosing the tech we choose to spend our time on according to our values and implementing digital breaks will probably be difficult for most of us. But if we look at what we will gain in return, deeper friendships, closer, connected families, and healthier lives, it is more than worth the effort. Now, I want to read to you one scripture, because when you read something like this, it can be very depressing to think about the world that we are living in. <laughs> but the truth is, all the generations have dealt with something that, that is similar to this in terms of evil, trying to take the place in our lives and to distract us. Yes, digital is new, but it, it's the same old thing as always. And that's why the Bible is amazing, because the Bible speaks to us today to these issues in a relevant way. And in many ways, I would say that many of the scriptures that were written 2,000 years ago, especially the New Testament, are coming alive in a new way today because many things that were then have now come again. For example, the city of Rome, which was the center of the Roman Empire, the world in which the Bible was written, the New Testament was written. At that time, 2,000 years ago, one million people were living in that city. And there was not a city on earth until the 1800s, London, during the Industrial Revolution, that reached one million people. So what they had back then was a modern big city. It was crazy. You could have anything in the city of Rome. And that's where Paul was. That was the world that Paul was living in. That was the world that the Bible, the New Testament, was written in. And I love this, what Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Finally, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to live in a way that pleases God. We need to live in a way that pleases God. As we have taught you, you live this way already, and we encourage you to do so even more. For you remember what we taught you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. God's will is for you to be holy. So stay away from all sexual sin. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God and his ways. Never harm or cheat a fellow believer in this matter by violating his wife, for the Lord avenges all such sins, as we have solemnly warned you before. God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. Therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching, but is rejecting God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. And then I love this down a little bit more. Paul says, make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands. 
just as we instructed you before. Then people who are not believers will respect the way you live, and you will not need to depend on others. I love that, that Paul says, make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business. And I really think that that speaks in many ways to social media in general, minding your own business. You don't need to be knowing what somebody else is doing and what they're eating <laughs> every meal. Mind your own business. Get up off of your butt. Put this away and work with your hands. <laughs> That's what Paul said, and that is so relevant to us today. And that is the way that I want to be living, a quiet life. Yes, doing my best, living loud, making it loud, shining for Jesus. But at the same time, inside of me, in my mind, in my heart, in my spirit, at peace. And not constantly jealous, not constantly looking what somebody else is doing and wishing I was this and wishing I was that. A quiet life, minding our own business and working with your hands. There is nothing like hard work. And when we work hard we will not be dependent on others. Amen? So let's stand to our feet. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to take communion. So right now, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for this book and the words that we heard today spoken in this place. And so we pray right now that anyone that is in this house today that is addicted to digital things or is, is just stuck living a lifestyle that is not, they're not the best for them, that in the name of Jesus, God, we would pray that you break that chain in their life. We pray that they would have the courage to step out and to find the help they need. Maybe that's professional help. Maybe that's just here in the church. But God, we pray that you would guide them and give them wisdom through the Holy Spirit how to deal with what they are dealing with. But we also believe in the name of Jesus that addictions can be broken and healing can be had right now in this moment. Even the brain can be healed from the patterns of the past. And we believe that if there is something in the brain that has been affected by what we've seen or what we've consumed, God, we are believing for healing in that in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen.